Hello and welcome to another completely unsponsored episode of Saved by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today is a guy who just signed up for HBO Max, Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. Because Ken just signed up for HBO Max, we thought it would be fun this month to frame our theme around that and pick four 90s titles that are currently available to stream on the platform. So get those Roku's and Apple TV's primed because this is Saved by the 90s. The following movie is rated R. Yeah, I, I just do want to say before we get started, that is the entire impetus of the the, the show this week is that it, since, you know, HBO Max has now arrived at the point where it's made itself one of the most high profile streaming services, I guess, I uh, have parted with $15 this month, at least this month, probably not many successive months, uh, just because it's another $15 going to another streaming service every month to... Uh, become a subscriber to hbo max and so and i told adam that and i said if whatever we're discussing this month is on hbo max i can add that and then he immediately said what if that was the whole month and we had to do that i just thought it was so funny to frame something around your hbo max subscription yes it is a very good idea now i know i know that the reason that you signed up for hbo max this month was because the snyder cut dropped right oh that's that's the reason the, the Snyder cut. I did. I didn't realize that the Snyder cut was coming out like two weeks after I started my subscription. And but then I, you know, I log on one day and I just see like the Snyder cut just blazing all over the homepage, and I think, oh, oh, <laughs> that's here. I watched it. Oh, did you? Yeah. How is it? Uh, I I won't get into detail, but I thought it was way better than the theatrical cut. We'll just we'll put that's it that way. Uh, I I think I'll probably have my full thoughts uh on the other podcast so okay won't, won't, won't waste time on this show yeah i i just i can't get into that just not only because the snyder cut became such a meme but i just thought that's four hours I, yeah this is four hours of something that i don't know anything about i wasn't gonna do it but then it was one of those deals where i wanted to watch something over dinner and it was available it was there staring at me in the face and i was like all right i'll watch this for an hour and then i was just like all right after the hour was up i was like all right let's just finish it let's just see this thing through is it in like segments or is it just one four hour long movie no it isn't it's in parts it's okay it's it's presented as one movie so it's Mm -hmm. not like episodic or anything but it is in parts so you can watch it in chunks Okay, I'm sure you were all here to for our uh, for me to ask all of my questions about the Snyder Cut because <laughs> yeah. I never know what's happening anymore. Okay, let's get started. First up, we have a classic action movie that was helmed by Catherine Bigelow, who in 2010 would go on to become the first woman to receive an Oscar for directing for The Hurt Locker. But today we're talking about a film that she made that was released on July 12th, 1991, and it is Point Break. Rock and roll. Want to know how much action, adventure, and excitement went into the making of Point Break? Rent is free behind-the-scenes video at your video store now. 
Go on location with Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. It was an opportunity for me to sort out my adrenaline junkie side. <laughs> Ride the wave of action. Rent this free behind-the-scenes video today. Then rent Point Break on January 16th. 100% pure adrenaline. Point Break. Rated R. I love the idea that they're at, they're, they want you to rent the making of and then separately rent the actual movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the exact right order to do that. Because, I mean, back then, it's not like you have unlimited rentals. Like, later on, they introduced the whole unlimited rental thing. But, yeah. But back then, you had to pay, like, I don't know how much it was. $10? Something mm -hmm. something like that for to rent a movie. So they, they want you to pay to rent the behind-the-scenes VHS. That's, that's crazy. I do like the implied order of the behind the scenes first. They want you to, yeah, they want you to watch the behind the scenes first. That's what got me first of all. <laughs> then watch the movie. Oh boy. Uh, all right. An FBI agent goes undercover to catch a gang of surfers who may be bank robbers. Now you have a classic action movie here. You got Keanu Reeves, got Swayze, Catherine Bigelow at the helm. Mm -hmm. What a director. I love Catherine Bigelow, by the way. Mm -hmm. I've been meaning to rewatch Strange Days for like several years. That's, that's one that for some reason, that's one of those movies that I can just go back and rewatch over and over again, even though it's long. I really mm -hmm. love Strange Days. But Point Break, man, this is a movie that I absolutely loved as a kid, naturally. I've really loved action movies as a as a youngster and this was this was right up there for me i thought that, and, and to this day i think that this is a classic action movie i think mm -hmm. that when you're looking at like the pantheon of classic action movies i think point break is it definitely on the list it's very robust i mean it is just like it just works it's just it it, it is fully it is a movie that fully believes in its premise and considers it from every possible angle that it can think of and just goes completely, you know, gives 100% effort to realizing it in every sense. I was reading some interesting f facts about this movie, including the screenwriter, W. Peter Illiff. He was working as, he only got, he got paid six grand to write the script for this, and he was working as a waiter while he was writing this. Mm. So he was... In, in his off time, he was writing the script for Point Break. One of, one of those classic kind of Hollywood screenwriter stories. Yeah. yeah. So you have uh, Gary Busey in here as well. He So Keanu Reeves, if you're not familiar, I feel like kind of foolish going over the plot of this. But, yeah. I, I, uh, but maybe... <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll briefly touch on it. Uh, Keanu Reeves plays an undercover FBI agent. He's like a He's a new guy. He's, he's straight out of the, the academy and he's, he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder and he gets partnered up with Busey who's, who's been in, on the force for like two decades and he's grizzled and he's worn. And what a performance. Oh my God. Maybe it's up there. This is, this is up there for Busey. This may be, <laughs> may be one of his best performances. It's such a perfect role for him. It really is. Because he gets to go a little bit wild in it. Yeah. Like, you get to see a little of the wild Busey. Especially, like, mm -hmm. in the beginning when he j jumps into the pool and he does his little scream thing. I met, mm -hmm. Gary, I met Gary Busey 
before um and his son actually i met both of them and uh they're both absolutely nuts in real life like they're, <laughs> they're, they're not putting on i mean they're putting on a show a little bit but mm-hmm. i think at their core they're still just they're they're wild man mm-hmm. nice people though very nice people mm-hmm. you have Lori patty in here she is a bit of an, a bit of a 90s icon you know we have tank girl league of league of their own she's the the love interest in this we should we can should consider her nominating her to our uh, ongoing uh, uh saved by the 90s hall of fame or honorary co-hosts which mm-hmm. could now include uh Laurie Petty, David Crumholtz and uh, uh Devin Sawa. Yep. Yeah, Laurie Petty was definitely huge in the 90s. She was just she was in a lot of stuff in the 90s. Like big stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um get a lot of fun little cameos in here too like anthony kiedis from red hot chili peppers is in here he play he plays like the this other like nazi surfer guy mm-hmm. so initially initially so he goes undercover keanu goes undercover as a surfer to try to infiltrate these bank robbers called the ex-presidents they all wear masks for from uh ex-presidents and uh, he learns to surf and he gets in with them Basically, if you haven't seen Point Break, but you've seen the first Fast and the Furious movie, it's that. <laughs> it's pretty much what we're looking at. Is this a first time watch for you? Not a first time watch, as in I'm being. I, I was watching it through. I was watching it through from beginning to end, perhaps for the first time. I would not be surprised if all the pieces of it that I've seen either in different contexts or in chunks on TV probably added up to something close to the full movie though. Uh, it's just one of those movies that it's cultural impact was so substantial. And it's just such a perennial movie that exists that I am fairly confident saying this is probably the first time I watched it from beginning to end in one sitting. Uh, but also it's one of those movies where it still feels like I'm, I'm rewatching it. Yeah. It's, you see a lot of clips from this movie, both in like, film essays like video essays and stuff like that and in in other movies like hot fuzz i believe is the one where they reference this movie a lot and it's just yeah this is one of these kind of culturally ubiquitous movies that's just everywhere i think everybody's seen point break at one point or another it's on tv a lot or it, i don't know if it still is it used to be on tv a lot too um but well- that's the thing about movies on TV is that the way the the rights work is that they kind of go through cycles. Like a movie will be on, you know, one particular basic cable channel five times a week for three months and then vanish and then it'll come back. So uh, hopefully we will, uh, we are, I don't think it's on a lot right now, but in the, but hopefully we're arriving at a time where we'll have another period of point break cable ubiquity. <laughs> I mean, I guess if it stays on HBO max, then it's, it's always going to be available for us that we can mm-hmm. get our get our point break on at any time. In fact, I think that that's that there's something to that's lost with on demand and the fact that you can watch whatever you want whenever you want. I think that yeah. there's there's a certain amount of discovery that gets lost in that and and I think that this this is sort of similar to the video store dying off and how mm-hmm. and my my like fond memories of going to the video store and just spending hours literally hours in the video store looking at every single movie on the shelf and like discovering the right one 
you know, yes. because you, you got to rent it. You le- you go, you travel, you get in your car and you travel there. And then you spend all this time picking the right movie. That's like speaks to you. And you may, maybe you never even heard of it. Like it's like, it's probably going to be a blind rental unless you heard, you know, read, read about it in a magazine or a friend told you about it or something like that. It's possible that you never even heard of this movie and you pay money and you rent it and you're committed because you, you go, you drive home and then you pop it in. It's not like you're going to be like, shit, this movie sucks. I'm going to turn it off and take it mm-hmm. back and rent something else. Like that's out of the question. Mm-hmm. And I think the same. So I, I think that a little bit can be said, like it's a little similar to flipping through the channels and just watching stuff on TV and, you know, the Sunday, Sunday afternoon movies that would come on and maybe you never heard of or saw point break before. And you turn on Fox and there it is point break mm-hmm. and you sit down and watch it and you're like, Holy crap, this movie's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have just because of my age, I have so few distinct video store memories. I'd say the one, the one that I, that I can probably have the most vivid memory of is for some reason we, uh, my family rented, um, the uh 2002 uh dennis quaid vehicle the rookie <laughs> which is a fine movie i guess i don't know uh but the main thing is we watched it and I, and i don't know how i felt at the movie but i was somewhat dismayed when we had to return it because when we were on the way back i was looking at the back of the, the case and i saw there was a director's commentary on it for some reason even as a little kid i was fascinated by that conceptually like a commentary with john lee hancock and dennis quaid but like but we were sending it back giving it uh, taking it back so i couldn't watch it but eventually, I, I, I guess, you know, when you're a kid and you want something, you tend to mention it just enough that uh, we eventually ended up, you know, buying a copy of the DVD. And I don't think I'd ever rewatch the movie in full without the commentary. I just wanted the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I like it's just something that somehow appealed to me when I was little. And looking back, that feels like kind of a formative thing in what the sequence of events that led to me sitting here talking to you on mic right now um, is just liking commentaries when I was, I don't know, however old I was very, a very little kid. Uh, but for some reason, the fr- one of the early formative commentaries was the commentary for the rookie. <laughs> I had to know how they did that sound effect when he's throwing the fastballs and it just whooshes through the entire sound system. God. Uh... It's a fine movie, I guess. I'm trying to remember it. <laughs> I don't think I saw it. I don't think. Yeah. It's definitely not one that appeals to me. But it's probably fine. one that does appeal to me is Point Break. Oh, yes. I, lo- I love Point Break. I love the the big uh, the big chase scene, the foot chase scene uh, between Keanu and Swayze. I thought that that was a really well shot scene. Mm-hmm. The, oh, yeah. s- the skydiving scene, of course. That's an iconic scene as well. And you know, famously, Patrick Swayze actually jumped out of the plane to to shoot that scene. It's very, it's very clear in the movie because everybody else looks so like they're clearly stuntmen, but they always show Swayze's face like straight on. So mm-hmm. that's what yeah. a performance. Oh yeah, I mean Swayze's great in this. It's Bodie. I think that I think that this was uh, probably a character that really spoke to him because uh, he was famously sort of uh you know uh, I don't want to say an adrenaline junkie but he was like 
a master skydiver and stuff like that. So, and he also refused to use a stunt double during the surfing scenes. He wanted to do the surfing himself too. And I think, I think they did end up using a stunt doubles for the like really big wave scenes and stuff, but you know, it's a good, it's it's a, it's, it's really solid, man. There's, there's some mm -hmm. car chases. There's some shootouts. It's got everything you want in an action movie. One thing that I liked about it was that the, you know, at first, Keanu's not sure if these guys are the bank robbers. Like after after a false lead, he suspects that they are. He's like pretty sure. But mm-hmm. what I, one thing that I like is that he almost catches them at one point, and so they know that he's a cop. But he doesn't. He's not entirely sure that they're that they're the bank robbers. So I, I like that dynamic. That's what leads yeah. to the skydiving yeah. scene. There is that kind of tense, like, push-pull of him kind of being clued into what they know in that, and what he's trying to figure out that actually does very quietly uh, drive a a lot of the movie. And it it is just very kind of impeccably done. It's always there as kind of that nice uh, slow boil until it starts boiling. I guess. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's hard not to think about the Fast and the Furious franchise and not think about Point Break because it's almost the exact same movie. You just replace like surfing with cars. Like it's the same thing. And I I, I wonder cuz Point Break was a successful movie, but I wonder what would happen if we were in Point Point Break Nine right now. If, if the series <laughs> kept going, like Fast and Furious, yeah, like where would they go from 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 the first one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would have to like come up with lots of creative ways to. I mean, I guess that they could branch off from surfing and do like other, you know, extreme sports. Obviously, that that has to be. I, I'm just wondering at which. Which sequel would be the uh, parkour one? Because that's the one that I'd be. That's the one I'd want to see. It would be inevitable after a point, but uh, I don't know. I feel like they could cycle through a few. Maybe that would be third or fourth. Maybe fourth. It'd probably be. It would probably be more of a like a parkour, like a one scene that had parkour. Now, to be clear, but it's like a twenty-minute uh, sequence. Yeah, yeah, like a chase scene or something like that. Yeah. That would have the parkour in it. I'm not making fun of parkour, really. Just to be clear, there were a couple good. There was um, what was this? There was a movie. There was a French movie that was. It was an action movie, but it was all parkour, like very focused on. It was called like District B13 or something like that, and that was a pretty cool movie. That was like a parkour action movie. Anyway, they did remake this in 2015. I was gonna try to fit it in and watch it for the, I for the show. That happening, uh, but I didn't. I didn't do it. I did, just didn't have the time uh, because there's another movie that uh, we're gonna be talking about in, in a few minutes that has two sequels, and I wanted to watch those. So, uh, I heard horrible things about Point Break 2015, <laughs> and. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that that's one of the reasons that I just avoided it because when it when it came out, 
I had no interest in it because I, I did love the original one so much and I just knew that there was no way it was going to come even close to this one. So I kind of just let it, let it go. Mm-hmm. And just, Another fun thing I want to point out is that on the Wikipedia page for Point Break, when and on the cast list, it does not only list the you know the characters as they're referred to, but for the bank robber characters, also lists the presidents that whose masks they wear when they're robbing banks. Ah, nice. So in an indirect way, the cast list says Patrick Swayze as ex president Ronald, Ronald Reagan. Reagan. I love I love <laughs> I love the idea that Patrick Swayze is Ronald Reagan. <laughs> uh, I can't think of a more abstract person to play Ronald Reagan than Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see Roadhouse? Man, I love Roadhouse. <laughs> it might be another one of those ones where I might have seen it, but not all at once. Roadhouse is one of those movies that th- that did play on TV a bit, but you got to see the uncut version of that one because of the, the throat <laughs> ripping that he does in it. <laughs> Wait, while we're talking, speaking of Ronald Reagan, since we mentioned Dennis Quaid earlier, did you see that thing where Dennis Quaid is apparently doing a movie where he where he plays Ronald Reagan for whatever reason, and they put out a picture, and it was going to be, it's like the, the Entertainment Weekly thing, the first picture of uh, Dennis Quaid as Ronald Reagan, and it just looked like Dennis Quaid. <laughs> they were like, it was like, and here is the in this transformative performance, Dennis Quaid is Ronald yeah, Reagan. It's just, it's just Dennis it Quaid. Dennis Quaid wearing a hat. Yeah, I did see that. There's, there's, they didn't even like. I don't even think, at least according from what it looked like in that still, it didn't even look like they put makeup on him or anything. They just, no, they didn't. It doesn't really doesn't. Look it just like looks it. like Dennis Quaid. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, right. enough talk about Ronald Reagan. I don't want to do talk about Ronald Reagan. <laughs> no, no, we're done. We're done with that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so love. I love Point Break. It's highly, highly recommend this. It was fun to go back and watch this again. I've seen this a million times, so it was like uh, one of those kind of warm blanket type movies. All right, next up we have an indie comedy that launched the careers of its co-stars John Favreau and Vince Vaughn. Released on October 18th, 1996, and directed by Doug Lyman, this is Swingers. Critics say Swingers is the most fun you'll have at the movies this holiday season. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie everyone's really hoping that should happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie. Entertainment Weekly calls it a terrific new comedy. It's so exhilarating it makes you want to applaud. It's usually original and laugh out loud funny. Baby, you are so money and you don't even know it. It's the year's most winning comedy. So how long do I wait to call? Two days is like industry standard. Swingers, rated R. But how long are you guys going to wait six days? Now playing select cities. A wannabe actor has a hard time moving on from a breakup, but he is lucky to have supportive friends. <laughs> you know, usually when we're complaining <laughs> about these plot descriptions, it's because they're too long and exhaustive. This one is short and not comprehensive. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Yeah. It's just, that's not, if I was asked to, I'm just thinking, if I was asked to sum up this movie in a sentence, I don't know if that's the way I would go about it somehow. Yeah, I wouldn't either, but also Swingers is like one of those movies that's you know, fairly light on plot. You know, it's, it's just about a guy just trying to get over a long-term relationship. That's pretty much what it is mm-hmm. in a very 1990s Los Angeles. Oh, it is. It's so Doug Lyman would go on to 
his next film was Go, which we talked about in a previous episode. He is, these movies are just so singularly capturing, like, what my imagination would tell me that Los Angeles in the mid to late 1990s looked like. The the great thing is, though, you have a movie like Go, and when you look at the, the 90s style of that movie and you compare it to Swingers, they're very, <laughs> they're very different. Like oh, Go, yeah. Go is is like a more glossy like oh it's 90s rave culture and then when you yeah. see Swingers it almost it's like oh this is the this is the 90s indie film boom like that yes. whole scene where yeah. and and like when you look at Swingers and you and you compare it to Reservoir Dogs I mean obviously that's like <laughs> referenced in the movie um, mm-hmm. and copied in the movie in a really great scene or mm-hmm. like clerks or any of these movies that were sort of part of that Sundance boom that happened um, in the nineties. Like it just has that same feel to it. Like just all, all part of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I really yeah. love swingers by the way. Like I, to this day, I think that it's still a, uh, fantastically funny movie but still in a sense that i would say you feel like it still feels like the a movie from the same two movies from the same director and just the way that he kind of lays out his world and his uh characters also another similarity go uh also has a sequence that takes place in las vegas if you haven't seen swingers this is written by john favreau as well and it Basically, he and Vince Vaughn play best friends. Favreau's going through the breakup uh, that we mentioned earlier. And one of the things that his best friend does is decides to take him to Las Vegas, try to get his mind off of off of um, this uh, ex of his who he left in New York. He just moved to L.A. to become a comedian, an actor, and... Um, you know the the L.A. scene or the the Las Vegas scene is it opens the film essentially, but it doesn't really spend too much time there. But I think that it sets things up very nicely as to like who these people are. I think that it introduces the characters in a a, a way that will allow us to be like, okay, so you know, Mike is a this this very specific type of guy, and Trent Vince Vaughn's character is this other type of guy and that's that's who we're going to be spending the next hour and a half with or whatever so i, th- mm-hmm. I think that opening it with the the vegas scene was good i liked that and i just think i think that i think for maybe for some people who watch swingers for the first time now could find some of the script to be problematic uh just from a you know 2021 20, perspective but I don't know. Maybe that's just me projecting. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like it quite as much as I think you did. My my thing was, I thought it was pretty accomplished as a whole. I guess there was just something of it that was just like keeping me out. Like, uh, because I think there's something about like trying to create a very particular rhythm for a movie that is otherwise not tightly structured or and so you have to kind of really kind of sink into that rhythm to get along with it and there was just something about it i don't know that kind of kept me 
out at times and the worst thing is if you're watching a movie and you don't feel like you're it's you're, you're understanding the rhythm and there's no plot structure for you to latch on to and it is a you know a narrative film like this is you kind of just feel locked out of it for large segments of it that was the thing for me i think it was just a very cosmetic level thing and it sounds very like a very superficial complaint but yeah it's it's a movie where i couldn't discount it entirely because i could see what it was going for to just kind of spend time with these characters and all the and all the ways that sometimes you wish you weren't spending time with these characters but uh yeah, i understood yeah. what it was trying to do on a philosophical level i understand why this might be a bit too abrasive for some people and some people might not like spending time with these characters when i saw this movie i was probably i don't know 14 or 15 or somewhere around that age bracket where i was just like these guys are so cool i never (laughs) i to be clear i i I was always mike favreau's character he's the one you're supposed to like i mean yeah. Vince Vaughn's character as Trent is kind of a dirtbag. Like that's mm-hmm. that's established early on, and I don't think that his character is ever glorified in, in anything yeah. that he does, especially how he yeah, tra- that, how he treats women. Yeah, and, that, I, that wasn't my complaint. The movie does know. Yeah, um, this is not a good person. <laughs> setting that aside, I just thought that these characters were they're just cool. I mean, they're just cool characters. They're close friends. You know, this is the type of relationship I had with a lot of my friends growing up. So we would watch this movie together and, I don't know, feel this camaraderie or this connection to these other characters and how they would, you know, hang out and play video games for a little bit and then go out and just go from this these really cool, like, underground clubs in L.A. This is back during the this, the swing craze that lasted for, like, a year. <laughs> I... I- I need to understand this because I like. Oh right, this was a this was a thing that I've heard of. Was just swing there for a minute. It was, yeah, yep. And and uh, you had uh, these bands just popping up like Cherry Pop and Daddies and um, uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, like these these bands, these swing bands that mm-hmm. would just uh brian Setzer orchestra like these these bands that would just come up out of nowhere and all of a sudden they're on mtv like their their videos are like playing on mtv and they're like playing on the radio and stuff and all of a sudden like swing music is cool really wild really strange <laughs> it was a really strange time <laughs> and everybody's like wearing suits and suspenders and stuff and i, I don't know it's uh it's definitely a, a moment it was a moment in time real end of history theory energy there i guess i think that it's interesting how this this movie was sort of the catalyst that that launched a lot of the the careers of these people from doug lyman to favreau to vaughn i mean they have all done they've all done things before this but i think that this is the the thing that really kind of propelled them i think that vince vaughn's next gig was uh jurassic world or not jurassic world uh yeah no it was jurassic world right that was the second jurassic park yeah whatever the second one was lost world lost world that's the one yeah i i think that's definitely it it is one of those movies where you go back and you look at it and you see people before they have started to really excel in their careers and it's interesting because it does feel like a moment of something happening although that is what we were saying about i think that's what we said about vince von reviewing uh 
Clay Pigeons a while ago, which is not a good movie. No, Clay Pigeons was, was not a good movie. I don't know exactly what was going on with Clay Pigeons, but Clay Pigeons has this distinct feeling of a mo- of one of those movies that you watch and it was shot like four years before it came out. Um, I don't know if that's true, but it just felt like it. Yeah, yeah, that just wasn't a very good movie. No, it wasn't. Uh, John Favreau would go on to make a movie called Made, and he wrote and directed that one. Mm-hmm. And Made is very similar to Swingers. I don't know if you've seen Made, but I think that what I think not. whatever kind of like shortcomings you may have with with Swingers, I, I feel like Made makes up for it. I, I like actually like Made a little bit more than Swingers. It's a very similar story. It is Favreau and Vaughn. They're playing best friends, uh, but this they're boxers and they're they get involved in this like money laundering thing. Uh, but I like it a lot um, more. It sounds like something. Yeah. Like, P- Peter Falk's like in it, and he's so amazing in this. In made excellent. Yeah, that was the thing. Like a while ago, I watched the sequel the 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 you know wings of desire there was wings of desire and then there was the sequel the much less discussed sequel far away so close which i did watch and first it begins with a cameo from mikhail gorbachev that's just how the movie begins and then it's about two and a half hours long but you know i was watching you know peter falk in it whenever you watch peter falk you think we appreciate peter falk but we could all we should we could always appreciate him more Oh yeah, there's never too much Peter Falk appreciation. Is my position. Yeah, uh, Ron Livingston is in this. This was uh, a pre-Office Space Ron Livingston in here. Uh, he plays uh, a friend of Mike's, and uh, he, he's he's pretty good in it. Um, you have Heather Graham in here as well. Uh, this was during I don't know. Heather Graham might be someone to add to our. Our list, our growing list yeah. of honorary co-hosts. co-hosts. Cause Heather, Heather Graham was definitely on a tear uh, during and this time too. He's in another movie we're talking about yeah. this very month. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, if you show up twice in a month, you're automatically like, uh, what <laughs> one of our, I think, I don't know about Heather Graham though, because I feel like she really hit her stride in like the early aughts. Like she just missed the nineties cutoff. Like I think by, the second movie that she was in that we're going to talk about, like that's when she was really starting to blow up. But I don't Yeah. I, I think I just feel like, you know, if you're showing up in two otherwise unrelated movies, we're talking about in a month that, that, that feels like, you know, sufficient saturation for me. Obviously no one's going to beat like the, the Krumholtz episode. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, nothing could beat the Crumholtz. Three of the four. Isn't I think three of the four. Nothing could beat the Crumholtz episode. And we've talked about him like in four other movies in different episodes. I just like the look of this movie. It has that 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 nineties that nineties indie look that I can't quite describe. Mm-hmm. But one that every time I see it, I'm just like, yes, I love it. Yes. Uh, I, especially like when when they, they when they do the Reservoir Dogs rip off, and then when they do the Goodfellas rip off, I think is an incredible scene. Even though it's it's blatantly ripping off of Goodfellas. I know what you mean, and I completely agree. It's just it's just incredible. So mm-hmm. 
If you haven't seen Swingers, I would definitely recommend it. Add it to your list on HBO Max. We're not sponsored by HBO Max, but this whole episode is about HBO Max. So yes. give it, get, add it to your, your list. I think that they have lists on HBO Max. Add it to it. On the next HBO Comedy Hour, George Carlin tells you what's different about the 90s. Poor people used to live in slums. Now the economically disadvantaged occupy substandard housing in the inner cities. Join George for his seventh HBO special and find out what's really getting him mad. If you want to know what a moronic word lifestyle is, all you have to do is realize Attila the Hun had an active outdoor lifestyle. Get George Carlin doing it again. Premier Saturday on HBO. Our third title this month is another action movie, this time one adapted from the popular Marvel comic series. Released on August 21st, 1998, and directed by Stephen Norrington, this is Blade. You keep your eyes open. They're everywhere. A secret nation of evil. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. A war to save our world. Blade myself killed as many of them as we can find. A hero who knows no fear. He makes the weapons. I use them. Wesley Snipes, Stephen Dorff, Blade, Rated R, starts Friday, August 21st. Oh man, that soundtrack. <laughs> uh, oh, we need to talk about the soundtrack. Oh yeah. Start, start us off. A half, va- <laughs> a half vampire, half mortal man becomes a protector of the mortal race while slaying evil vampires. Anyway, uh, this movie is amazing. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. It's so good. I, I freaking love Blade so much. Just, I haven't seen it in, in years. And being able to, when you suggested it for to add for, for our HBO list, I was like, yeah, I'm always down. Always down for some Blade. Here, here's the thing. Here's why I'm riding on such a, like, I watched this earlier today. I am still, you know, here's why. I knew of this movie. I had been meaning to watch this movie. I didn't know a almost. I was going to say a single thing. I knew. I knew of the movie enough to want to watch it. I really didn't know a lot about this movie until today, and I've just. I am experiencing this in so many ways for the first time today, and I feel like my life is so much more enriched having done so. Oh man. I'm very excited for you that you got to experience Blade for the first time. And not only that, but like going into it somewhat fresh. I think that that's, yes. that's even, even better. Like not knowing what you were in for with Blade. I think that, that we, you know, when I, when I watched it this time, I don't know how many times I've seen Blade a bunch of times, but this time when I watched it, that opening sequence the one that I'm sure that you're all, everyone listening is completely aware of in the, the club, the vampire club. Uh, I decided that like, that is maybe one of the most iconic opening sequences of maybe any movie ever. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's one that you will instantly, instantly remember. You will instantly know like, Hey, what happens in the opening of, blade you know like there's so many movies like even great even great movies out there where you can say like oh man i freaking love that movie and i'd be like hey what happens in the first 30 seconds of it and you'd be like uh oh oh, they're uh you know you'd have to like think about it for a minute with blade you're like nah freaking blood showers in the club like you know exactly the scene 
the two facts of Blade in the first 20 minutes. Blade is born, and then 30 years later, there is Blood Rave. Love it. Love it so much. That that whole sequence, man. The the blood. As soon as the, as soon as the blood rave started happening, as soon as the blood started raining down, I thought this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And not only that, but like so, so they they set it up. It's a great setup. You have Tracy Lords in there, mm-hmm. in what pretty much amounts to a cameo, um, mm-hmm. come, bring, luring this guy into this like secret club. And then the sprinklers turn on and they're just getting showered with blood and there's like strobes and they're like the blood is pooling on the ground and then Blade shows up and there's this incredible action sequence that kicks things off with him just ripping these vampires to shreds. And I freaking first, loved it. The the first one of the first glimpses of what will come to Mark, you know, coming to this movie for the first time in 2021, the astonishing 1998 cgi in this yeah um yes <laughs> which makes me like it more there is uh there's some ru- i mean even to be clear even, even when this came out in 98 it was yeah. like a little we were like okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you doesn't can, look you great. can think of movies from the same year that had better cgi than yeah. this but you could, you could pick movies from like 1994 <laughs> that had better cg <laughs> yeah i argue it adds to the experience for me thankfully it's they don't overdo it with the cg in this like it's it's there it's like um you know like in mortal Kombat or one of those other 90s movies where they that they sprinkle in or maybe spawn i think maybe spawn had a little bit more especially in like the hell sequences but where it's not like overused they this is back when like cg was like they were still doing as little of it as they could uh, with the Blade sequels, they start using the CG more, and it gets worse. So that's it, an interesting it, pattern. It, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty glorious. The uh, all of the action in this movie is glorious. The the one liners, Wesley Snipes just crushing it as Blade. Stephen Dorff is Deacon Frost, the bad what a guy. Performance. <laughs> uh, Deacon Frost. You know, like of the when you see Steven Dorf and you're like, what what would a character name for Steven Dorf be? The first thing that should come to mind is Deacon Frost because it just looks like such a Steven Dorf character name. Mm-hmm. I love Steven Dorf, by the way. I just I just watched yeah. that uh, Hulu documentary Kid Ninety, the one mm-hmm. of, the one with uh, Soleil Moon Fry, where she I guess have she recorded her entire life from the time she was in punky Brewster all the way up until like now. And, mm-hmm. um, she, she like put all the recordings in the archive, archived them. And she never looked at them for like 20 years. They just sat in a, in a, like a storage locker and she pulled them out and like watched them. And then they like compiled them all into this documentary. So, she was like really good friends with Steven Dorff. So you get to see a little Steven Dorff running around in this movie. Uh, Chris Christopherson's in here as Whistler, who mm-hmm. is a character that was, I could only imagine was so popular that they brought him back to life for the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Cause he dies in this one, but yeah. they bring him back to life in the second one. And it's a whole plot plot thing. He's in the third one too, by the way, but I'm going to spoil all the played movies in this discussion. 
Uh, and then you have uh, uh, Nubushe Wright as the love interest. She plays a, as fate would have it, she plays a um, like a, a hematologist. Is that what we would call it? And she's like a, a blood mm-hmm. scientist, uh, and yeah. she gets bitten by a vampire, and Blade saves her, and then she decides to spend her time trying to cure Blade. Because if you're not familiar with Blade, the character, he is a he's sort of a half human, half vampire. Uh, the the whole shtick is that his mother was bitten by a vampire right as she was giving birth. So it's like he's a very rare type of uh, half-breed where he can walk outside during the day, but he has, you know, super strength and healing. uh, But he also has the hunger for blood. And Whistler has devised the serum to help keep the thirst at bay but it's getting worse. So that's sort of one of the uh, plot lines here. Donald Loge is in here as Quinn, who's sort of the, the right-hand man of Stephen Dorff uh, in a great sort of comedic relief role where he just keeps getting his hands and arms cut off and getting messed up real bad. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's great in it. It's, it's such a good cast. It is Wesley Snipes in a, Tremendous performance, leading a a cast of you know. Well, I, I'm still trying to come up with the right words to articulate just how good a time I had watching Blade. Yeah, I mean it, it's great. I mean, start to finish, this is this is yes. a classic. This is your classic R-rated, you know, comic sci-fi action movie. You know, sort of sort of on the same level as The Crow or one of these that. There, this is another movie where when I see it and I see the look of it and I think to myself, like the movies just don't look like this anymore. Like every, absolutely not. Everything is like everything these days is too glossy. It's too bright. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, back then with these movies and, and one, a good example that I think anybody can recognize would be Batman 89. When you see Batman 89 or any of the movies after that, like those sort of comic book style action movies, the, the darker ones or like dark man, the, the Raimi film, uh, they all have that same look where the, the city there's just steam everywhere. There's paper blowing in the alleyways. Everything is wet. Like the road is always wet for some reason and glistening. And I, I guess it's just that, that they used elaborate sets back then and they don't really do that now. I think that maybe that could be part of it. Like now they just use green screen for everything. And back then they just built cities and stuff like that, like alleyways and stuff like that. And I think maybe part of it is just the fact that they were shooting on film and that doesn't happen anymore either. But the whole time I was watching blade, I was like, man, I wish that somebody would make like one of these big comic book action movies Again, the R-rated, like the darker ones, mm-hmm. but just make it the same way. Like, yeah, I don't know what the like the X factor is with this look. Maybe it's all the things that I mentioned, but maybe there's like something else in there that like I'm neglecting to think about. 
the way I that it was the, color graded or something, but yeah, I think the from from my guess would be I think like the, the shooting on film is probably a big part of it. The just big practically like physical sets is probably another big part of it, uh, and maybe something about the lighting. Could be, yeah. Because <laughs> you do get a lot of movies now that are, that are kind of shot like like um, mid grade like prestige network TV was shot fifteen years ago. Yeah, it's like, and it just kind of is very it all looks the same. Yeah, when it comes to like these big comic book movies or just action movies, it's like everything. It's like movies are trying to look more like video games and video games are yeah. trying to more, look more like movies. So wh- what's going to happen here? Are they just going to overlap each other and go the uh, complete opposite way? And all of a sudden movies are going to look like super Mario brothers and games are going <laughs> to look like citizen Kane. Like what's going to happen? <laughs> They're just going to go past each other. That, that's obviously the end point here. <laughs> And obviously mean the original Super Mario Brothers. Of course, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, movies movies in 2030 will look like video games did in 1985. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, vid- and, and video games in, in 2030 will look like movies did in 1950. <laughs> I mean, that, that just seems like that's where it's going. I, I yeah, don't it'll get be it. all like yeah, no, no, or like specifically Citizen Kane, like that kind of like, yeah, like the, like the first time like you were seeing sets with set, sets that were not all exactly the same. Yeah, I just not not to I, now. I feel like I've gotten myself in trouble. I'm not. I am not trying to make fun of movies from 1941 that are not Citizen Kane. No, you know what I meant about not. Citizen yeah, Kane. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I just I really wish someone would make a movie that has the same that that like 90s action movie look to it i just i miss that i really do but blade like mm-hmm. i mean for now we can just go back and watch all of these great 90s you know like hard target had the same look just uh, there's a million there's a million that we could name but blade <laughs> man from the gadgets he had all kinds of awesome gadgets with his like the the sword that had like the little safety mechanism on it to the uh thing that he threw whatever that was called it's great and it's 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 so great and i think chris christopherson is like he's basically like the q you know for blade where he he creates all the gadgets and stuff i think Mm -hmm. that that uh the character of karen the love interest um i mean it's fine like i understand when movies do that because they uh, it allows for exposition dumps, you know, in in a more organic way, so that the audience can understand what's happening in this world. But I, at the same time, I feel like mm, maybe there's another yeah. another way that they could have mm-hmm. done this. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there are. If you if you want to nitpick Blade, you can very easily nitpick Blade. But mm-hmm. I think that. You would be doing the movie a disservice by doing that. Blades Absolutely. a movie. Blades a movie. You just got to put on and you just sit back. You listen to that glorious soundtrack Ugh. with mystical Ugh. and MOP and uh, mm-hmm. New Order. That I know there's a New Order song in there. 
I think Junkie XL. I don't know if Junkie XL did the did the score or maybe just a couple tracks. But yeah, man, Ooh, what is talking about Blade? You can say there are problems with Blade. There are supporting characters that are really not given their their due in Blade, but also in Blade. I mean. I, the, the whole soundtrack, but just that very final music cue when it smashes to the end credits. <laughs> yeah. It's a blast. I mean, it, I think to this day, you can watch Blade and be... I was worried. I was worried that it was going to look really cheesy and just not hold up. Um, but I got to say, like, you know, some of it, some of it looks cheesier than it did back in 98, but for the most part, I think that the action choreography still holds up. I think that it's still incredibly badass when you see it. Um, like the whole like scene with him throwing the blade and then catching it, you know, after it goes through the, the vampires. I, I like that the way that the, the vampires look when they get killed, how they kind of, catch fire and then they like disintegrate and crumble into ash. Oh yeah. It's, it, it's all, it, it's all fantastic. Just, and it, and it's it, so, I think it holds yeah, up absolutely. tremendously well for the, mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, Steve, yeah. Steven Norrington, the guy who directed this, uh, not a super well-known director. He did. So before blade, he did a movie called death machine, which was, uh, sort of, a sort of an alien ripoff. If I remember correctly. I don't think I ever saw it, but it, it involves like killer robots or something after blade. He did a movie called the last minute, which I don't think a lot of people saw that one, but, uh, it's a, it's it was awesome. I, I don't remember too much about it. I remember, really really liking it a lot and then he did uh the league of extraordinary gentlemen after that and that was his last film because that was a notorious flop what i'm looking at here i'm seeing some conflicting information about stephen norrington because the movie was very badly received but it was not an enormous financial failure uh then but it said but uh, again, reading from Wikipedia and a bunch of statements that have citation needed tags after them, uh, Norrington apparently at one point said that he had a hard time making the film, working with particularly the, the, the sentence here seems to single out Sean Connery. Again, I'm just reading unsubstantiated claims on the internet, which is obviously a good thing that I should be doing. Um, and so then he said that he wouldn't make another movie because he didn't because he had a hard time making Leave Extraordinary Gentleman. But it does, uh, but it does not seem true. Because then there is a source to uh, from just a few years later when it says he he was attached to direct a movie in the Crow franchise, which did not come to fruition. And then two years later, there is a news article about him perhaps directing another movie, uh, neither of which come to fruition. The last we hear from Stephen Norrington is uh, in 2018, Stephen Dorff said that that Norrington was making, quote, making a film with miniatures at his own house. Dorff thought that the film would take Norrington another decade to complete, unquote. So. <laughs> All right. Well. Okay. I mean, hopefully uh, 
Uh, I mean, sounds hopefully he's doing sounds interesting. Hopefully he's doing what he likes. Yeah, you know? but just yeah, I think sure. that he was. Uh, he, it looks like he's done like special effects stuff. It looks like he came from a, mm-hmm. a special effects background. He did the uh, the robot the robotics for that movie Hardware, which was the uh, Richard Stanley one, which I enjoyed that by the way. He also did the alien effects for Alien Three, which say what you will about Alien 3, but the effects in that were really good. Mm-hmm. So I did I did rewatch Blade 2 and Blade Trinity in preparation for this, just because I, I only saw Blade 2 and Blade Trinity once each, because I hated both of them back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blade 2 is famously, it's directed by Guillermo del Toro, actually. Uh, I think a lot of people probably forget that, but I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's directed by Guillermo del Toro, and it, it's very clear. Like when you see Blade Two, you're like, oh, okay, I could totally see this being directed by del Toro. Um, it the the plot of this is basically that there's this new breed of or evolution of the vampire that is killing other vampires. And there's this like vampire squad that teams up with Blade and they're going to take down this like new type of vampire. And there's there's more to it. There's some some twists and turns here and there. But uh, as I mentioned before, Chris Christopherson comes back as Whistler. It turns out that uh, he didn't kill himself in the first one, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever okay Okay. (laughs) absolutely makes no sense or maybe it was like it was too late like he'd already turned or i don't know i don't know what the story was with that uh this one also has ron perlman in it he's like the leader of the this uh mercenary gang of vampires um norman reedus is in here he plays sort of like the new whistler where he's like making gadgets and stuff uh, unfortunately, Norman Reedus turns out to be a, a bad guy, which again makes very little sense in, in the context of the movie. And Donnie Yen is in here as uh, one of the one of the Vampire Squad people as well. Uh, like I said, I really disliked this movie when I initially saw it, but I rewatched it today and I had a pretty good time with it. I didn't I didn't think it was on the same level as the the first one. But mm-hmm. uh, the creature effects are outstanding in this. Uh, that, that's something I didn't remember at all about the first time I saw this. Uh, and like the fight scenes and stuff are all really great. So I definitely came away f- uh, from this one thinking a lot um, more highly of it than I initially did back when this came out in, in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blade Trinity, on the other hand, which was the third and final one, not so much. Uh, I mm-hmm. still did not enjoy Blade Trinity. This came out in 2004 and was directed by David S. Goyer, who uh, did Dark City, which we... I don't know, he wrote, he wrote Dark City. Did he direct yes, it? He, uh, he also wrote the, 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 the screenplay adaptation for, for this film. Um, uh, he might. He might have written. He might have written all the blades. He, yeah, he might have. 
Uh, this one has Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds in it as Blade's two partners. Uh, Parker Posey plays the bad guy. So, you know. There we go. Yeah. Got a, got a little Parker Posey action there. I'm looking at this cast list right now, and I don't know who I expected to start in Blade Trinity, but it's not the people I'm seeing. Yeah, so you uh, you also have Natasha Leone in there. Natasha Leone. And she, she's on their team, too. And then you also have Patton Oswalt, who is also... John, John Michael Higgins. Uh, Patton Oswalt is also part of their team. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a strange cast. Not not your typical what you would think with, with Blade. This movie doesn't sound good, but I feel... But you're going to have to talk me out of seeing this after I've seen this <laughs> cast list. So this one it basically is the return of Dracula. So Blade fights Dracula in this one. The thing, the thing is, like, it's not... Like, I certainly found it more entertaining now rewatching it for this than I did back in 2004 when I, when I saw it, I think I saw this in the theater. I think back then I just thought it was just so poorly written and cheesy and it is like the dialogue is awful. Eric Bogosian is in this too. He's only in it for a very short amount of time. Like one scene. I'm, I'm just reading off a list here. Yeah. He's easily in it for one scene. So don't get, don't get too excited about Bogosian. I know the problem with looking at a cast list <laughs> is that you assume everyone's in it in a substantive way. Right. Uh, Natasha I'm Leon. just imagining all these people with equal screen time. Yeah. Uh, James Remar's in it too. Uh, Natasha Leone plays a, a blind woman and she's like their tech person. She's like their, uh, their scientist who develops mm. a new, like a way of killing them. Like every one of the Blade movies, they develop a new way of killing the vampires. Like, like the old way seemed pretty effective. Like sunlight kills them, you know, but they're, they're always yeah. coming up with new things. Like in the second one, Norman Reedus came up with this like bomb that was like a light bomb. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. It was like a light grenade. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. Unfortunately, Blade Trinity is just not. It's it's just not very good. Well, I will continue to entertain myself with the cast list. I forgot to mention with Blade Two the soundtrack. The soundtrack oh. on Blade Two is. Better than Blade One, and Blade One has an incredible soundtrack. But the Blade Two soundtrack is like next level stuff. It's I, I okay. Uh, it's almost all original songs, uh-huh. and what they did with Blade Two is they they took a like a popular uh, EDM performer or musician mm-hmm. rather than performer musician, and they com- and they teamed them up with a famous rapper. So you have like. Massive Attack and Most Def, Fatboy Slim and Eve, BT and The Roots. You have Ronnie Size and Cypress Hill, and you have uh, Gorillas and Red Man. So you you have uh, oh, Crystal Method and Bubba Sparks. Like it's such <laughs> an incredible soundtrack. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. And I don't know how you can listen to it honestly. Like. I think some of the tracks are on Spotify, but I don't think the whole album is. So I'm I'm not mm-hmm. sure where you can listen to it, but if you can, it is a hundred percent worth it to listen to the Blade Two soundtrack. I am obsessed with just the mere idea of the soundtrack. Yeah, and all, like all the songs, pretty much, are bangers. So mm-hmm. 
Highly recommend the Blade 2 soundtrack. Absolutely. It sounds incredible. Are you excited for the the prospect of a new Blade? I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with where they're at right I, now with the Blade I franchise. but I don't know much at all about the Blade franchise until today. So, um, in- uh, Marshala Ali is going to be the new Blade. Excellent. Which I'm totally down so, for. I think that's a great... Movies. I think it's a great choice. I would love to see, like... Like, I don't know if they're going to have him be the the blade character or like a new maybe like blade son or something. i don't know how they're gonna <laughs> do it but i uh, i would like to see wesley snipes come back in in some form you mm-hmm. know i don't know like a cameo or something just because i think that i think that marshall ali is gonna do a great job with the character but there needs to be a some sort of like passing of the torch i think but well, of course, we'll, the, of course, the one the one regret of making another Blade movie is that it'll be you know if it's worked into the current wave of Marvel films, it's going to look more like other Marvel films. It's not going to look like Blade. No, it will not look like Blade. No, I mean you but, could you could even see it like in in Blade Trinity, like even in Blade Trinity, it started to to look. It was like way more glossy. Like you just it didn't. It started to look different, and I think. That's another thing that brought Blade Trinity down is that it looked like garbage. I think on at least a conceptual level, I'm still quite interested in Blade 2. Um, if for no other reason than because it coming out in 2002 means that while we don't get to talk about it, obviously on this podcast, if there's anything that, you know, it's fun to talk about 90s action and genre movies, but it's also fun to talk about early 2000s action and genre movies. Yeah, I mean... Blade Two. First of all, it's on HBO Max, so you can mm-hmm. you can check it out on there. Interesting that uh, that that Marvel didn't snatch these up. I guess are they like Warner Brothers? Like how did I don't, New I don't, Line? New Line. So HBO has all the New Line stuff. Hmm. Hmm. I'm I'm just. Yeah, I'm, you'd think this would be. Yeah. I'm surprised that that Disney hasn't. Well, I know that like Disney Plus doesn't have anything R-rated on it. I don't think yet. That could be. I don't. I don't know if that has changed, but I know that initially it didn't. Mm-hmm. But I know yeah, that that's that it that will change at some point because I know that they're doing the new Deadpool and that's going to mm-hmm. be rated R. So, and presumably they'd put the other Deadpools on it, and so I would therefore assume. This, Dead, but they're know. not on it now, though. So I, yeah, I was, but. I guess like, that they'd be there eventually. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think at some point. I, I think at some point Blade will probably move over. Yeah, I I guess that if they're doing another Deadpool, then then I guess around then they'll put the other Deadpool movies on there. Um, uh, uh, and then I would guess if they're doing another Blade movie, then at some point or another the 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 other Blade movies will find their way over there. Our final film this month comes to us from the one and only Frank Oz, a comedic genius in his own right, who brought together the legendary Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin for this comedy. Released on August 13th, 1999, this is Bowfinger. This is one of the hot scenes that is about heat and chemistry. Well, the artistic portion of the film. That's right. So, so just give her a little room, react normally, be sensitive above all, because in this scene, Daisy's going to take off her blouse. <laughs> Steve Martin, you're offering yourself to him in order to save the planet. And Eddie Murphy. 
awesome. Bowfinger. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, August 13th. When a desperate movie producer fails to get a major star for his bargain basement film, he decides to shoot the film secretly around him. Adam, why don't you start us off? What did you think of Bowfinger? You know, I, I remember really enjoying Bowfinger when I was younger, and I haven't seen it since back when it came out. And, uh, man, it, this one, I was a little disappointed in this one. It's, it's funny because the only things that I really remembered with, with Bowfinger were uh, Eddie Murphy as, uh, as uh, Jif, Jif Ramsey. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That was really the only thing I remembered, and rewatching it now after all these years, uh, to me, that's the only thing that I really enjoy about this movie is Eddie Murphy as Jeff Ramsey because I think that he's so funny in that role. It's, it's a great performance. I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, just when he just comes on screen, I just start laughing. I think it's it's such a funny character, and. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that I definitely didn't remember was how long it took for Jif to show up in the movie. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, everything before he shows up is just so... It's just so cookie. Like, it's bland. Like, I'm just not into anything before Jif shows up. I mean, I think Steve Martin has some good business in some of those mm. early, like, scenes, but... um, so, Yeah, some of them. I mean, like... I like his character in this is like this kind of sleazy con man filmmaker guy who's who's just willing to do whatever it takes to get his crappy movie made. I, I like that. I like Steve Martin in that character, but I just didn't think there was a lot going on until. There, there is. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, I don't know. I don't know what, what people, how people feel about it. Cause people really don't talk about this movie. I, I really love the scene in the restaurant where he's pretending to be on the phone and then Robert Downey Jr.'s character begins to clearly see that he's talking into a phone that's not connected to anything. It's just a dangling wire. <laughs> I found that very funny. He ripped the car phone off. Mm. Yeah, yes. it, it's good stuff, but nothing nothing compares to, to GIF. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so... If you- <laughs> So like the whole the whole premise of this this movie is that like Steve Martin is this guy he, he's a filmmaker who's like about to lose everything when I guess one this is like one of his employees or I can't remember what job this guy has but mm-hmm. he ends up writing a script and it's like really good apparently and he decides that he wants to try to weasel his way into getting this thing financed so there's the scene that, that uh, Ken just mentioned in the, this restaurant, Robert Downey Jr. Plays this like big time producer guy and Robert Downey Jr. Like in a joking way says, Oh, if you can get Kit Ramsey to be in your movie, I'll, I'll produce it. And the, the whole thing is like Kit Ramsey's this big action star. And it also turns out that, that he's a little bit unhinged and he's a little bit paranoid and he's got some problems and he of course does, he doesn't want to do the movie so Steve Martin hatches this plan to who plays Bowfinger by the way that's where the the name comes from that's his name is this Bobby Bowfinger Bobby Bowfinger he um, what a name. he hatches this plan to shoot the movie without 
Kit Ramsey knowing. So they sort of do it guerrilla style and try to get him to be involved in the movie, even though he has no idea he's in a movie. And because this is like a sci-fi alien movie and Kit Ramsey is this like really paranoid guy who thinks that maybe aliens are real and might be coming after him. It just, you know, hijinks, just hijinks all over the place with this. Eventually, eventually they realize that they can't shoot a lot of the scenes with Kit anymore. So they need to hire someone who looks like similar to him. And it it turns out that they find his brother, Jif, and, that, and that's where Jif comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, have, uh, you have Heather Graham in here as Daisy. Mm-hmm. She's the, she, she's uh plays this, this woman who, you know, just, just gets off the bus from the, the Midwest. I feel like that that's a Heather Graham, like character trope. Like, I feel like she's, she always plays that type of like girl next door, like type of mm-hmm. character. But anyway, um, she gets a, gets a job. It's her first acting gig or whatever. She's like the, the leading lady and she ends up like sleeping with the whole crew and everything. And I, I found, I found that to be a little distasteful actually um, mm-hmm. in a 2021 context. Yeah, to to present the character that way, um, mm-hmm. whereas like, you know, like she, like in the movie, she's like kind of the she's she's kind of the sleazy one, but or, or she's portrayed as like the slutty one, whereas like all of these like old men who are clear like taking advantage, you know, I don't know, I just yeah, it rubbed me no, a little bit. I I understand like. Back in when this came out in 99, it was a different climate. It was fine to present something like that back then, like this back then. But um, now it just doesn't quite track. The jokes don't land in 2021, let's say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Jamie Kennedy is in here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Christine Christine Bransky. I think she's very good in this. Oh, she's great. Yeah. Yes. She's great. so eh, it's it's fine. Oh, I, the other thing I didn't mention was that that Kit is basically a Scientologist. There's this like we need to talk about this. Yeah, like the, yeah. the, the source of his paranoia seems to be his membership and uh, driven by and large by his membership in an organization called and this is such a great name, Mindhead. Mindhead, yeah. And they they all wear these like pyramid hats, but it's you know clearly. Scientology. Yes. And is, uh, un- under the, uh, uh, and, you know, senior mind head leader, uh, played by Karen Stamp. Mm-hmm. He's think, having a good time in this can, movie. Can you think of a better person to play that, that yes. role than he's, Terrence Stamp? He's very much enjoying playing this role. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe Udo Kyer in, in that, who was mm-hmm. in, blade that's why i thought of that mm-hmm. but he'd probably, yeah. he'd probably be a good choice for that role too but mm-hmm. uh so yeah you have just a lot of uh crazy shenanigans going on where they're trying to shoot this movie secretly and get eddie murphy as kit involved and you know it's it's fine 
you know, it, yeah. it, it's all right. I, I honestly think that the scenes with Jif may make it worth it to me. Like, I just, I think he's so funny in that. And like, it's a character that I've never seen Eddie Murphy do before or since. And I, he needs to bring it back. Like he just needs to bring that character back. <laughs> the, 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 the adult braces and the oversized clothes and the squinty eyes that he does. Yes. Yes. I, I think that's kind of a lot of what the, this movie is, is that it's not particularly inspired, but it just gives you this opportunity to watch all of these actors together, you know, with the script by Steve Martin that gives them so much of an opportunity to do stuff, even if it's not like the most inspired material, uh, that that's a lot of what really drives this and it makes it, for me at least, it was found it perfectly entertaining. To me, there's like, there's something about Frank Oz movies that like even even the ones that I don't think are particularly great, um, they still have this sort of uh, niceness to them. Where yes. where when you see it, you're just like, yeah, that's 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 nice. This is a nice yeah, movie. Yeah, it, they're even when the movies aren't great, they're easy to watch. Like yeah. there's no there's no it doesn't slow down. <laughs> so it doesn't like stop. Yeah. Uh, we previously talked about uh, what about Bob on this on this show, which was another Frank and House Sitter, a movie everyone remembers. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. We did talk about House Sitter. <laughs> yeah, everybody remembers House Sitter. I liked House Sitter. That's good. Yeah. That's a good one. I seem to re- recall we spent most of that review talking about the house that it's. Set. Yeah the, the the awful how the house was like not nice at all. And I, I think at the end of the point, we get, like there was so little talk about House Hitter. I think we were just going through like, or at least I was just going through like newspaper archives to try and find information about this house because we had so many questions about yeah, it. That's right. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. Yeah. So in the nineties, Frank Oz also did In and Out with Kevin Klein, which hey, maybe we'll talk about that at some point. Indian in the Cupboard, which I loved as a kid, so maybe we'll talk about that at some point. Something tells me. I have a strong suspicion that that's going to be one that I revisit as an adult and ask myself why I loved it so much as a kid. Yeah, Frank Oz is such an interesting director because he he does so much and like his his work is so varied. You know, like he he does Bowfinger and then like two years later he does the score, which is like this action heist movie with Robert De Niro and Edward Norton and and Marlon Brando, I believe, in maybe his last role or. Certainly one of his last roles. I don't really have anything else to say about Bowfinger. It's it's it's, it's fine. About it, really. Yeah, it's it's fine. I mean the fact that it's on HBO Max, you know, it's maybe maybe give it a look, but honestly I would just skip ahead to the GIF stuff. <laughs> Him crossing that highway and the 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 scene that we heard in the trailer when he has to do like a topless scene with with Heather Graham and just his reaction to that awesome I can't disagree with you but I just felt like the the entire I think it's almost at its best when taken like as a whole it's just kind of it's easy to watch and I kind of need that <laughs> I think we all kind of need that oh yeah definitely wrapping up you know, when, when I started looking through HBO Max 
for for movies, there's a ton of 90s movies on HBO Max. There's mm-hmm. just a ton of movies in general on HBO Max. And I think that, you know, the their back catalog coupled with their original programming and the new movies that are coming out on there, like the wonderful Tom and Jerry, just kidding, that movie's awful. Uh, <laughs> have not seen it. Uh, don't, don't, just don't avoid. Okay. I was a big fan of Tom and Jerry as a kid, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, boy, was that a letdown. The animation was cool in it. I mean, I'll give it that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on HBO Max. So I'm, I remember when it was first announced and I was like, what the hell is this? I don't want this. Why would I want another HBO? Like, this is crazy. But yeah, it kind of works. I mean, I still don't know all the try i still can't keep track of all the names of the hbo uh, properties and services but you know i'm i'm glad that i'm i'm glad that that i had that i finally decided to go through with it and pay for at least one month of hbo max thank you so much for listening let us know what 90s movies or tv shows you're watching on hbo max because there's a there's a bunch of tv shows on there too so maybe Mm -hmm. maybe uh check out some of what i didn't even look to see what kind of 90s stuff's on there as far as tv but maybe maybe some good stuff on there you can do that by sending us an email at 90s at filmpulse.com or on twitter or facebook at 90s pod and if you get a moment please consider giving us a review on itunes that'd be super helpful for ken bakley my name's adam patterson and this has been saved by the 90s bye everyone <laughs>